0: Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself. Listen, a glorious church, not having spot, or wrinkle, or any such thing, but that it should be holy without blemish. May God bless the reading of his word. Would you be seated? Recognizing a church when you see one, and a great church when you see one. How certain it is that many, if not the majority of people today have no idea what a church is. They have an idea and they name it church. I'm a member of the church. I go to church. I believe in the church. We have a church in our community at the corner of walk and don't walk and on and on. But they don't have a clue what a church is. And yet the Bible says that As I said to you a few Sundays ago, the only thing we know is going to be here when Jesus comes back again is the church. The church, not a church, the church. And the scripture is so clear on this, you wonder how did we get so far astray? How did we get to going in every kind of direction and naming it church and then wonder why there's no power, there's no unity? There's no love. There's no understanding of the Scripture. Well, we're going to talk about that for a few minutes. One of the characteristics of the church in the time of Christ was the reverence of the church for the Scriptures. The early church adhered to the Bible as it was being written and books were being written and presented to them as the inspired and errant and infallible Word of God. They reverenced the Scriptures. They would always take notice when someone would say, thus saith the Lord, and then would quote the Scriptures. And not only did they have reverence for the Word of God, but they had reverence for the commandments of God. And you say, yeah, I know some of those. Or I can't quote them all, but I know some of them because I know there are 10. Well, actually, there's at least 49. I carry a book with me often. I will probably have this in my vehicle right now. And uh, it's called The Commands of Jesus. And I had made certain that many of you have a copy of this. And I was going to make them available today, but I found out I had nine and I didn't want the unchurched Folks in a riot. I knew the church people would just love each other and give their copy to whoever, but anyway, that's another story. But anyway, uh, the commands of Christ. There's 49 of them. These are the commands of Jesus to repent. And by the way, the scripture reference, but I don't have time for that. But listen to the commands. We're to repent. Follow me. Rejoice. Number four, let your light shine. Number five, honor God's laws. Number six, be reconciled. Do not commit adultery. Keep your word. Go the second mile. Love your enemies. Be perfect. Practice secret disciplines. Lay up treasures. Seek God's kingdom. Judge not. Do not cast pearls. Ask, seek, and knock. Do unto others. Choose the narrow way. Beware of false prophets. Pray for laborers. Be wise as serpents. Fear not. Hear God's voice. Take my yoke. Honor your parents. Beware of leaven. Deny yourself. Despise not little ones. Go to your offenders. Beware of covetousness. Forgive offenders. Honor marriage. Be a servant. Be a house of prayer. Ask in faith. Bring in the poor. Render to Caesar. Love the Lord. Love your neighbor. Await my return. Take, eat, and drink. Be born again. Keep my commandments. Watch and pray. Feed my sheep baptize my disciples, receive God's power, and make disciples. More than 10, but that's the church. You see, the church, one of the characteristics was keeping the commandments. And every single one of them was important to those that were the members of the church. And whenever they had an opportunity, they would go out of their way to, in order that they could obey the commandment as it was relevant to the situation where they found themselves. You see, our problem today is in churches, we get a lot of situations we don't know how to handle them because we don't know the Word. We don't know the Word of God. But when you know the Word of God, and it's sharper than a two-edged sword, and it's suitable for every occasion you ever find yourself in, Then you know how to respond. First of all, you know there's a need there and God has equipped you to speak to that need. What I read to you a while ago, 42 of those 49 commandments are in the book of Matthew. Four of them are in the book of Luke and three are in the book of John. But every one of them have to do with one thing and that is to help People that are God's kids get free from the bondages of this world. That's what they're all for. You shall know the truth, the Bible says, and the truth will do what? Make you free. What's the truth? The commandments of the Lord. Obey these and enjoy life. Disobey and pay the price. I think that uh, you can look at the church if it is the real church, has a relationship to the world like a lifeboat has to a ship. You may be on the Titanic, but you better hope there's a lifeboat if it starts to sink. And this is the lifeboat. When your life is going down, and the wheels are coming off, and you're even telling people I don't know what's happening to me, but I know I'm coming unraveled. Everything I touch seems to just go to dust. What's wrong, what's wrong? Have you gone back and looked at those 49 commandments? Have you seen one or two or maybe maybe more than even two that would relate to that situation that you're in right now? Every day, every day, we listen and watch and witness a world that is self-destructing. It is self-destructing. Because the world has turned its back on the truth that sets people free. The world argues every single day about making things that the Bible say is wrong and they argue to make it right. And they do it in the name of freedom. But the Bible says the truth is what'll set you free. Amen. It is sad how we watch what's going on. Listen to Matthew twenty-four, thirty-five: Heaven and earth shall pass away. My word shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knows no man. No, not the angel of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were, were before the flood, they were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. And so shall also shall, become, shall be the coming of the Son of Man. You know where we're headed? We're headed for Jesus Christ to come back to this earth again. I would like to see any argument that show me the wheels are not coming off. Not only in America, but in the whole world. But that's the world. They got their problems. I want to talk about the problems the church has. That's what this series is about. I can't change the world, but I can change my life. And if you change your life and we're the church, the church will change and be everything God wants it to be. If we have let things slip by and we have not noticed it, this is a time to look carefully at what is going on. Matthew 24, 42 says, Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. Now the church is warned. Church, you better look at the world different from f- what all of your sorority or fraternity friends are looking at, or your fellow employees, or the people that live in your neighborhood, or that go to your school. You better know what is the Bible say. Because that's what the church is all about. God said, I want to get a people together. I'm going to love them. I'm going to be their God. They're going to be my people. I'm going to be their God. I will watch after them in everything they do. But there's two things we better never forget. Number one, man is a soul. Man is a living soul. And there's an eternity ahead. Number two. We are a living soul, and there's an eternity ahead. Now, many people in the world have never heard that, but it's absolute truth. And let me tell you something. The church is not here to civilize the world. The church is here to get the world saved. We're not here to change the behavior of all of our enemies. We're here to get right with God and let God handle our enemies. And when we turn in that direction, things began to to happen in a beautiful, beautiful way, an overwhelming position of a huge number of churches is that the church's main purpose is to deal with the now instead of with the future. When we get our future right, we'll start going in the right direction. You see, if you know where you're going, then you know what to expect along the route. And if you don't know, all you have to do is just read the scriptures and it will tell you. It's not on CNN. It's not on Fox News. It's not on Channel 11, 13, 39, 26 or whatever your favorite is. This is the news. This is the truth. This is what you must know in order to prepare. Amen. This, the God of this book knows when the hurricanes are going to hit Houston. From now until he comes back again. Not what's going to happen this week, next month, or in two years because of global warming. And God's not caught up with global warming. He can change the temperature as easy as you can on your air conditioner if it works. But what God says, my people, I didn't create you for your life, your average life expectancy is fill in the blank. I don't even know what it is. But I know what it is biblically. Your, your life expectancy is forever and forever and forever and forever. Amen. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. Isaiah 48, listen to this. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. The word of our God says that God breathed into man and he became a living soul and when we are born again, we become heirs of God and join heirs with Jesus Christ, and we're given eternal, everlasting life with Him. That's what the Scripture says. Amen. And if the church fails there, and many of them are, if the church fails to carry the Great Commission into uh, an activity of every one of our lives, in other words, we've got to be motivated by the written Word to go and make disciples, Baptize them and lead them to be a part of what God calls his church. John one twelve says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Being a member of a church ought not clear your conscience. You know know where your conscience comes from? You know where mine does, yours does? It comes from our background. It comes from our education. It comes from our past experiences. I had an attorney ask me this week in a formal situation, how many courses have you had in psychology in your career? And how much psychology do you know? I said, I'm not sure. But I do know this. I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed. I'm not interested in what psychology teaches, I'm interested in what the Bible teaches. Well, it stopped the line of questioning, I was glad to get on to the next thing. But you see, folks, we are judged by how smart we are, and the Bible says the wisdom of man is foolishness to God. God says, I'm sorry, you may have finished at the top of your class but you still don't know what I know. But God gives that to the church. This is his bride. And so we should know the truth and you do. That's the reason we have 40 Bible study classes for adults right now in this building. In this morning, we will have 40 different classes where you can go to. I don't use the pulpit to teach you. There's a difference in preaching and teaching. I'm a proclaimer of the scripture and if you want the details, stick around. We got the best teachers on the planet that are doing what God has equipped them and called them to do. But it's one thing to be a hearer of the word and it's another thing to be a doer of the word and our churches are filled with people that hear the word, they just don't do anything about it. They're glad they know it but it ain't gonna change their lives. They've got a peculiar situation. No, they're peculiar. But maybe they're not quite as peculiar as you might think. Maybe they're like the majority. But God has simply said, I want you to understand that being a member of a church is not up to your conscience. Jesus said you are to be in his church. To those of you that are watching on television, on computer screens, listening by the radio. I know many of you cannot go to a church gathering. But you need to be a part of the New Testament church. You need to let the church minister to you where you are. But just to be a listener is not what God wants us to be. We are to be a participator. We're to get out of the stands and get on the field. People say, well, I think one church is as good as another. I'm here to tell you there's only one church. And it's the biblical church. It's not the Methodist, Baptist, Catholic, Episcopalian, or whatever. There is one church. Jesus said, upon this rock, I'll build all these churches, and they'll be Baptist and Presbyterian. That's not what he said. He said, upon this rock, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then he goes on to say, now let me tell you what my church is, and that's what I'm preaching to you about today. I want you to understand the church is not about on the corners of the street With a sign or a cross, that doesn't make you a church. What makes you a church is when people are born again and come together and study to show themselves approved unto God, workmen that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, and the way you rightly divide the truth, you become a doer of it, not a proclaimer of it. Don't you dare teach people that they're to give if you don't give. If you rob God of his tithes and offerings and you're a Bible study teacher, don't you ever teach on that subject. Any other sin you want to name, you have to be careful. I've got to be careful that we understand that God's church is His church, and He will put who He wants, where He wants it, and He will set the standards by which that person is to faithfully follow Him. So real quickly, I'll give it to you. What is the church? Number one, there were people that had been born again You understand? You say, I don't know what it means to be born again. We need to talk. You say, I've never heard of that word. You must hear it. You must be born again. You must understand you've got to put a death to all of your past and open a door to your eternal future. The Bible says in Acts 2 47, they were praising God. They were having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. The word saved means I've been born again. I am a believer that's not ashamed of the gospel. That's the reason that we baptize. That's the reason we have communion. I'll talk about that again in just a moment. But you've got to be born again. You don't go to church because you're a Catholic, Episcopalian, Baptist, whatever. You go go to heaven because you're born again. You don't come in the family because the priest or the bishop or the pastor says so. You come into the church because Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the door, and nobody comes to the Father except by me. Don't ever let that slip your mind, regardless of your background. Number two, the church of the New Testament taught salvation, listen, by grace alone, by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone. No exceptions. You understand what I'm saying? For by grace are we saved through faith, that not of ourself is a gift of God, not of works, lest anybody should boast. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense, G-R-A-C-E. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound is, the number one song in the Christian world, it probably always will be, because without that amazing grace, you don't have an unbelievable eternal salvation. If you think you did any one thing in order for God to bring you into his family, you're wrong. Jesus paid it all, all to him we owe. Sin has left a crimson stain, but Jesus' blood has washed it white as snow. Now that's what a church is. The victorious death of Jesus on the cross on Friday was followed by a miraculous, supernatural, unprecedented resurrection. When he came out of the grave by the power of God, and that's the reason we call the gospel good news. The good news is not he was, the good news is he is. And you ask me how I know he lives? What's the next verse to that one? He lives where? In Dallas. No, in where? In my soul. Well, who in the world invited him in there? You did. Because he doesn't knock down the door. He says, if you open the door, I'll come in. And I'll weep with you when you weep. And I'll rejoice when you, when you rejoice. And I will never leave you. And I'll never forsake you. And all power is given to me in heaven and earth. And when you can't make it any longer, I'll pick you up and carry you. Now, that's salvation. It has nothing to do with some holy guy that went to some holy situation and came out a holy guy, and so he could just touch you and, We're so foolish, we that say that we're Christians, we know so little about the teaching of scripture. You watch Christian television and you cannot see, you cannot see the absolute, absolute uh, appearance of what Satan would do if he was on television. Especially in money. I don't understand why senior adults cannot see through this plea of sending half, half your Social Security check to them so they can have bigger airplanes and bigger mansions and bigger this and, and look so spirit. And you say, it breaks my heart. You know, I wish our church would do that. No, this kind of thing we do. Journey. Mission trips. 10,000 missionaries around the world. If anybody hurts, we all hurt. The man that was sitting over here last week is in the hospital, has had a visit every day since he, he was put in the hospital from his motorcycle accident, very near death. And his whole family's been mentioned. That's what a church is, folks. That's what Jesus did. He went out doing good. He went out and loved people. He didn't say, my name is Jimmy, and you know what you are gonna give me? Watch that stuff. The real church can see that a thousand miles away. Every single one of these people had believers' baptism. The last time I looked, this church had over 240 people that had prayed to receive Christ in the connection lobby and have never been baptized. And many of them, in fact, all of them have been called and some of them said, I don't want to be. I don't want to be. My dear friend, it's like the the bride giving the groom a ring and him saying, I ain't going to wear that. People might know I'm, I'm married to you. I wouldn't want the other girls to know I'm married to you. If I get baptized, there might be one of my drinking friends there, and he'll not invite me to the next party. Very well may be true, and you'll be free then the rest of your life. But you see, everybody, well, here, Acts 2:41. Then they gladly received his word, and they were baptized on the same day. And in this situation, on that day, 3,000 people were saved. I mean, were baptized. How would you like to sit through one of those? If I put out a, a, an email tomorrow and say, "Hey, we're going to baptize on Tuesday. We've got 3,000 people. He baptized. Would you please come down?" But don't come unless you can stay for all of them. I bet you there'd be more flu going around, <laughs> measles breakouts, mumps. Everything in the world would take place. But you see, salvation is a gift. It is a gift from God. Ephesians 2:8. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Not of works. Why? Lest anybody should boast. If you think you deserve your salvation, whatever you have is different because if you got real salvation, you know you didn't do anything to deserve it. You just said, here am I, Lord. Speak to me. Take my life. The death and the resurrection of Jesus is what made your salvation possible. Galatians 3, 26. For you are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Acts 16, 31. And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Another thing about the church was the ordinances were administered by the church. Two of them, baptism and communion. Matthew 3, 16. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. He saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That's ordinance number one. Believer's baptism by immersion as Jesus was. And the only place in the Bible where the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit showed up at the same place at the same time and identified themselves. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the second ordinance. In the 11th chapter, First Corinthians, verses 20 through 26. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, listen, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you, and this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, the scripture says, also he took the cup when he supped, saying, This cup is a New Testament in my blood. This do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread, listen to this scripture, and drink this cup, you will show the Lord's death until he comes again. Two ordinances. Foot washing one, one of them. There's two. Baptism and communion. That's what was given to the real, true New Testament church, and that's the ordinance for the church today. Christ was the head of the church. The followers made up the body, and the body was responsible to the head. To do what the head told them to do. And to not do that was total disobedience. We know the, the Bible teaches about children, obey your parents and how important that is. But your heavenly Father is the most important of all. Amen. There were no popes. There were no bishops. There were no cardinals. That wasn't there. That came many, 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 many years later. But there was the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit and that's what it took Peter was not the Pope he was a fellow elder you say where do you get that I'm glad you asked First Peter 5 1 the elders who are among you I exhort now this is Peter I am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed that's what he said That's what he said. We are committed to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not to holy men that walk among us. A great church is a church that teaches truth based on the life and the teachings of Jesus Christ. That's a great church. Jesus is the founder of the great church and he is the foundation of the great church. Upon the Christ a solid rock we stand. Yes. Nothing else. Nothing else. A great church will preach continually and consistently the resurrection of Jesus Christ as well as the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm sorry for those that don't go to church very often. And they go out and quote, said every time I go to church, because the only time it goes on Easter. So they go tell everybody, every time I go to that church, he was preaching the same thing on the same subject. He's always preaching on the resurrection. <laughs> but at my age, if I preach on the resurrection in June, and, and more than half the church of dead, think I am so senile, I can't remember when Easter is. But I'm here to tell you, without Sunday morning, the cross loses its power. Right. That Jesus said, I'll rise. And he did. He is risen and no group of religious people in the world can say, our God reigns. Not did reign, was. They can say that. But our God reigns. He is alive. Our Father who said it will meet our need is alive this morning. Anyone here that has never been saved, you can be today. You can be. You say, I want to think about it. What do you want to think about Jesus is Lord. If he says he says I want you to be saved. Come unto me all you that are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. What are you going to pray about? What are you going to think about? If God says it, that settles it. Amen? Amen? So why not? Why not? Why not? A great church consists of people from every background that meet at the foot of the cross and at the opening to the tomb and unite and become living proof of a loving God to a watching world. We bring our spiritual gifts, we bring our background. Many people that come to the Lord now came because somebody that once walked where they walked became a believer and went to them and said once I was lost and in darkness as you are, but I met Jesus, let me take you to Jesus Christ. The early church did not compromise their biblical convictions, they did not. They would die before they compromised. But we are so easily persuaded to just go and do whatever. I don't have time, I wanted to, but Second Timothy chapter three, when you get home, I challenge you to read the three through the fifth verse because it says the hour will come where people will not endure sound doctrine. They will go after other gods of this world. And do you know a lot of them are members of churches? But they have decided there is a way better than God's way Let me give you my last one, number seven. This is where I started. The church revered the scripture and they earnestly sought to keep the commandments. They could love their enemy. They could honor their parents. They could do all of these things because Jesus had set the the tone that if his bride is going to be great, if his church is going to be great, the doctrine of that church will come out of the Bible and its priorities in that church will be the priorities of Jesus. Jesus loved everybody. Jesus touched as many people as possible. Jesus never met a person he could not save. Jesus was drawn to the sick and to the dying and to the poor. Jesus immediately commanded his followers to be missionaries. Jesus loved the, the, the person, the sinner, but he hated the sin. Jesus feared no one. Jesus loved his family. Jesus prepared people for the day that they would pass into an eternal life with God. Luke 23, 46. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father... Into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said this, he gave up the ghost. God would say, I've told you, I've written it down. This is my inspired word. I have told you. I have sent my spirit to convict you and help you and to lead you in the path of righteousness. You have no excuse. You have no excuse. Do you find any fault in me? Jesus is saying, of course we don't. Pilate couldn't and you can't. But you see, because man fell, Satan is in you until God runs him off. But when God moves in, Satan moves out. That doesn't mean you won't be tempted, but you'll have power you've never had before. Some of the greatest preachers that I know in my generation have come out of a horrible background. But one day, they met Jesus. And Jesus can hit a mighty lick with a crooked stick if God holds a stick. But you know what he does? He says, I want all y'all to get together and start sharing your testimonies, and you'll see you got all things in common. One of two things. Number one is you were all a bunch of sinners, and now you're a bunch of saints, born again into the family of God.